Hi, Emily. Hi. We come to you live from Garage Gate. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> in our theater commune. Yes. Uh, the apartment complex where many people live that we all know. <laughs> I share a garage with someone who's our, very kind. A friend of ours. <laughs> and he uses it for storage. I use it for car storage. Courage. Courage. <laughs> and the garage was open when I came down to get Taylor. Right. And I was like, what the fuck? And I closed it. And I watched it close as I was walking up. And I may or may not have heard a voice. Because <laughs> I'm like, I could have sworn I closed it when we came back from getting food. So now you're wondering. Then Kat left mm -hmm. and messaged me saying the garage was open again. Right. So I'm like, oh, my God, it's fucking possessed. There's a ghost in the garage. Or. Or the other person that I share the garage with was in there looking through the stuff because the light was on and it's timered. And we when we started recording just now, uh, I had the little dots coming up on that guy's chat that I'm having with him to see if that is indeed the case. He says, <laughs> no. he says, she did shut me in. <laughs> But I was able to tunnel my way out. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Oh, shit. Garage gate 2K19. Oops. It's been solved. Emily is a criminal. Hashtag oops. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. I guess we'll have him on as a survivor because <laughs> I locked him in the fucking garage. It must have been a harrowing experience. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. In okay. other news... In other news, I just ate a gummy that's shaped like a broom. It tasted Except, like apples. Yeah. Because it's fucking Halloween. This almost. is Halloween. This, this is Halloween. 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 <laughs> um, in other, other news. I fought a dragon today. You fought a dragon today? Did you win? We did. <gasps> so your character did not die? No. That's great. We almost lost a couple people. Oh, shit. But nobody died? Nobody died. Proud of you guys. <sighs> You, <laughs> Emily plays an online D and D game where they don't give a shit if your character dies. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, we were told to come in today with backup characters. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, I'd be like, no. Nah. And we're all level eleven. Like, if my character dies, I quit the game. Bye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad and I need to mourn. Yeah, but we uh, we did it. So proud of you. I that's laid on the floor for a little bit. If you go to my personal Twitter, I'm chanting. You can see a picture of me laying on the floor. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah. That's what I probably would have needed to do that, too. Yeah. I just, just I let just, me be prone. I, I laid down for a little bit. You know, you know, it does use half your movement to get back up, though. So. But crying is a free action. <laughs> I did a lot of that today. I want to make you need to make another graphic and it's that. <laughs> We became a D&D podcast for like half a minute. Surprise! <laughs> uh, now let me tell you about nature clerics. Yes. <laughs> Ever seduced a plant? Not yet. <laughs> Please do it. Close. Make everyone so uncomfortable. I did greater restoration on a treant. <gasps> Trent? Yep. Trent the treant? Trent the treant, and I think he loves me now. That's awesome. Oh. So stay tuned. You could marry that I Trent. I could marry that Trent. <laughs> I want to make a like a new game show. No. And it's only for guys named Trent. Oh, and it's God. called Marry That Trent. <laughs> I think the only rule is none of the guys can be actually named Trent. Yeah, you just think so. So yeah. like you kind of go in assuming they're a piece of shit because people named Trent sound like pieces of shit. Yes. So he has to like prove to you 
that he's not a piece of shit. And then he, you know, he says like his name is like Peter afterward. Yeah. (laughs) I actually think this is great. Um, TM for marketing this. Anyway. Also, hashtag sticker update. Oh, stuff date. Finalizing designs. Yes. So. These are the stickers that are for our uh, Patreon. Patreon patrons. I'm trying to think if it's like everyone gets one or if it's just our slightly higher level I don't level know. Donors. You know what? I think right now everyone should get one. That's fair. Um, again, we still have a Patreon. Um, I wish it's, it's uh-oh feeling, I think. <laughs> it's patreon.com slash uh-oh feeling. We're so good at this, you guys. Pretty sure. Pretty fucking sure. You know what? I listened to Quick Question with Soren and Daniel, and they never know their own fucking stuff, ever. They have to look for it at the end of every podcast, so I'm fine. Also, um, today's shitty booze, possibly brought to you by Patreon. Yeah. Well, is no. Brought to you by my bank account, but that's fine. <laughs> it's always like that for us. <laughs> Rita's, I have Rita's Sangria Spritz and Strawberry Blueberry mm, in a and, can. And I have Rita's Rosé Spritz white peach and i got these because we are just basically giving ourselves gut rot in these shows now this is what we do yeah i drank Um, straight tequila last night let's go yes also um that's the best and i i don't know why we don't always just do that i don't know um but i love these especially because they're called rita's it's sort of like it makes you feel like margaritas yeah and it's 16 ounces of gut rot yes but neither of these are margaritas and that's the funniest part. let's do that yes opening i hate opening cans (laughs) (laughs) i know i barely have enough nails to do it right now i just don't have strong enough fingers that's why i sucked at chugging beers with bobby oh that's fair like like opening the thing on time Mm -hmm. same and then I had to do it on stage, and it was really stressful. <laughs> that is super stressful. All right, let's try these. First reaction. Oh, God, the smell. <laughs> My first reaction is I really love stuff that is flavored with peach. Ooh, uh, you do not look happy. What do you, what's your first reaction to the sangria spritz? <laughs> Just squinting. <laughs> yeah, she looks high. <laughs> There's a kind cushion in this. It's not bad, but there is something ever so slightly strange about it. This is tolerable. Yeah. Would you like to switch? Would you prefer Would that? Would you be okay switching? Yes, that's fine. So I, I don't, don't have hate to squint through it? Yeah, no, that's why. I, I don't, don't know think, why, but like... I don't think I could handle doing this podcast if you were squinting at me the whole time like that. <laughs> I'd be like, Em, are you good or what? I'm trying to tell you about stuff. <laughs> Speaking of telling each other about stuff, which one of us is going first? Oh, fuck. We're in your apartment. Last time was true crime, so this is yes. non-true crime. I went first last time, I think. So I should go first this time. Okay. okay. If we fucked this up. We're sorry, but also we're not. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> oh, speaking of which. This we're is doing not... spoopy next time. Yes. Next time will be our spoopy Halloween episode with, you know, again, same old thing, kind of survivor stories, but we're going to take it from a spooky bent. Last year, you did like a haunting, right? Yeah. Someone who was maybe possessed. Yeah. Yeah, super creepy. And then I think I did the guy who um, w- was sleep deprived for, yeah, for like 80 11 hours. days. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, 80 like some whole, ridiculous some fucking thing on the radio. And he had like hallucinations about spiders and shit. And that was what made it spooky to me. So <laughs> I think this is like a, it's wide. It's a wide thing we're looking we're at casting here. Casting a wide net. Exactly. But whatever seems spooky to us, we'll bring it to you next time. So speaking of... of um casting a wide net my survivor today is not a traditional survivor Uh uh-oh what hey 
What? <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. 56 episodes. Yes. That's 56 stories. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to do something a little out of the box. Mm-hmm. Because I saw this story and it caught my eye and I was like, whoa. Uh. <laughs> that was so great. She like raised a hand <laughs> as if she was about to make a point. <laughs> nope. And then I just burped. Um, so I'm going to talk about Henrietta Lacks. Have you ever heard of Henrietta Lacks? That name sounds really familiar. I am not 100% sure why at the moment, but that's good. Because maybe I'll be like, <gasps> shit, at some point. I love that. Henrietta <laughs> was born in Loretta Pleasant on August 1st, 1920. In Roanoke, Virginia, Ooh, to okay. Eliza and Johnny Pleasant. They sound pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Sounded like a goose. <laughs> when she was four years old, her mother passed away giving birth to her 10th child. Damn. This is the 1920s, guys. Yeah. You just pumping them out. Yep. Unable to chair. Chair. Wow, I've had two sips of that. <laughs> Unable to care for the children alone after his wife's death, Lack's father moved the family to Clover, Virginia, um, where the children were distributed amongst relatives. Okay. Lax ended up with her grandfather, Tommy Lax, in, in a log cabin mm -hmm. that was once the slave quarters on the plantation that had been owned by Henrietta's White great-grandfather and great-uncle. Awkward. Yes. She shared a room with her nine-year-old cousin and future husband. What? David Day Lax. Look, it's the 1920s, but yep. it's also not that fucking long ago. We're marrying our cousins back then? Yes. Come on, FDR. Yeah. All right. Yep. Now, <laughs> like most members of her family... Lax worked as a tobacco farmer, starting at the er starting from an early, early age. Sure. In 1935, when she was 14 years old, she gave birth to her first child, oh, no. a son named Lawrence Lax. With her nine-year-old, like at the time, nine-year-old cousin. So now he's nine. No, he's I think they're older. Okay. She moved there 1924. Okay, so he's like 19. Yeah. Okay, that's still gross. Anyway, she go was on. 14. Yeah, that's upsetting. <clears throat> Her daughter, Elise, Elsie Lax, sorry, hmm. was born in 1939, and both children are fathered by Day Lax. Oh, okay. On hey. April 10th, 1941, Day and Henrietta got married, so they weren't married yet. Sure. I'm sure that that was, like, just frowned right. upon everywhere. Yep. <laughs> and later that year, their cousin, Fred Garrett, Convinced the couple to leave the tobacco farm in Virginia and move to Maryland. Oh, okay. Which is important. Oh, it is. It is so important. So they went to Maryland. Oh, okay. Where Day Lax could work at the Bethlehem Steel in Sparrows Point. Now, not long after they moved, Garrett, the cousin, was basically drafted to fight in World War II. Oh, okay. Hmm. So... Garrett gave his savings to Henrietta and Day. Like, I don't know if I'm coming back, guys. He seems nice. Yeah. He's like, get off this farm, go find a future elsewhere. Yep. By the way, here's all my money. Yes. Cool. So they bought a house. Set at 713 New Pittsburgh Avenue in Turner Station. 
fancy. Ooh, okay. Not probably like really fancy, but like but like nice. Middle class. Yeah. Good stuff. Sure. Yeah. So Turner Station was one of the oldest and largest African American communities in Baltimore County at the time. Now living in Maryland, Henrietta and Day Lax had three more children. And Henrietta gave birth to her last child at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. So she's got five now, is that right? Am I? Yes. Okay. The Johns Hopkins uh-huh. is important. Oh, okay. Now, on January 29th, 1951, oh God. <laughs> My notes. Um, Henrietta went to Johns Hopkins. I hate saying that fucking hospital name. It wasn't like, it's like, it's got John's two S's. Hopkins. It's sort of like, why is it like that? And I want to say John's Hopkins. Right. Yeah. You want to add more S's because those S's are already in weird spots. Now, John's Hopkins was the only hospital in the area that treated black patients. Really? Right now. Wow. It's 1951. Yeah. People can just be out here doing that racist shit. Yes. And she went to go see them because she felt a quote knot in her womb oh that doesn't sound good now she'd previously told her cousins about the knot and they said she was probably just pregnant but she's had four other children <laughs> she knows what pregnancy feels like right and they weren't wrong she was pregnant sure, but like with her fifth child at that mm-hmm. time but, but after is... she gave birth she had a severe hemorrhage oh shit so she was right. Like something was wrong. Yeah, something was wrong. Oof. Her primary care doctor tested her for. What do you think? What do you think she what? was tested for? I'm trying to remember. I think I remember. I know why I remember her name now. I do not know why they what they tested her for, though. Syphilis. Oh, does this have to do? Remember <laughs> when we talked about the Tuskegee study? Yeah. Are we and... just now assuming that black people have syphilis all over yes. the place? Cool, yep. cool, cool. Tight, tight, tight. The test was negative. Nice. She did not have syphilis. I think I remember why I know this lady's name. And so he, her primary doctor, had sent her to Johns Hopkins. You got this. Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> Say the whole name again. No. So like, do you want me to keep that goat noise in here? <laughs> no. Are you sure? No. Okay, then say it again. <laughs> Johns Hopkins. Beautiful. I feel like I'm having a stroke every time I say Bames that. John is having a stroke. <laughs> Call the Bondulans. <laughs> there, her doctor, Howard W. Jones mm. at Johns Hopkins. Good name. Good name. Took a biopsy of the mass on, la- on lax cervix for laboratory testing. She was then told she had a malignant epidermoid carcinoma of the cervix. Ow. Medical lesson. Yay. Let's learn. Cancer that begins in squamous cells. Squamous? Squamous cells are thin, flat cells that look like fish scales. Oh, okay. And are found in the tissue that forms the surface of the skin, the lining of the hollow organs of the body, and the lining of the respiratory and digestive tracts. So that's the epidermoid carcinoma. Okay. As you know, epidermis is the name for your skin. Right. I guess that makes sense. Well... In 1970, physicians discovered that she'd been misdiagnosed and actually had an adenocarcinoma. Okay. Medical lesson. Yay. It's like the new fun fact. Yeah. (laughs) Adenocarcinoma is cancer that begins in the glandular or 
things that secrete your glands. Oh, your, okay. Your sure. sweat glands. Yeah. So glandular cells are found in tissues that line certain internal organs and makes and releases substances into the body, such as mucus, digestive juices, and other fluids. Gross. So basically, everything I told you before didn't matter, but learning is important. Now, sure. this was a common mistake for the misdiagnosis at the time, and the treatment would not have differed. So like what they did to her was barely a thing. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay, great. Lax was treated with radium tube inserts. Um, okay, so they, they put radium in her? I'll get to that. As an inpatient and then discharged a few days later with instructions to return for x-ray treatments and a follow-up. Now, medical lesson. <laughs> Let's talk for a second about radium tube inserts because the first thing I thought when I heard that was, hmm, that doesn't sound safe. No, uh, if I can just say, I just listened to a recent MFM in which Georgia does the story of the radium girls. So, like, she mentions in there that when they're, you know, they discovered it and they're like, let's use it for everything mm -hmm. that did include very early <laughs> cancer treatments. Yep. But she didn't really go into it. So I'm excited about this. Yep. Um, if you Google it, there's not a lot of pictures. There's not a lot of information out there about it. Mm -hmm. um, but there's pictures, there's tubes, and then there were, like, inserts. And they had different sizes, and Europe used them, and America used them, but the ones in America could hold more radium, uh, I believe. So it's like early chemotherapy. Like yeah. Before we knew how to do chemotherapy, we were just putting radium yep. in people's bodies. So, oh God. Oh my God. So the morning of Henrietta's first treatment, mm -hmm. this is a, from the book that was written, um, a taxi driver picked up a doctor's bag filled with thick glass tubes of radium from a clinic across town. Now, the tubes were then tucked into individual slots inside a small canvas pouch that was hand-sewn by local Baltimore women. Damn, okay. The pouches were called Brack plaques. After the Hopkins doctor who invented them and oversaw Henrietta's radio treat radium treatment. Awesome. We great. are doing great. We're doing so good. These are 6% alcohol. <laughs> here's the thing. Uh -huh. This is where it gets fucked up. Right. For the radium treatment, the tube filled with radium was sewn inside her body. That's so gross, dude. That's like sewn. Mm -hmm. I guess I don't know where they'd be inserting it. I'm thinking of an Near IUD the cancer. at this point. Yeah. Like a big old like IUD. Somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Like they near. did surgery. Yeah. That's fucking yeah. nasty. First yeah. of all, a glass tube inside your body is weird. Sewn I don't into care. a handmade pocket. Yeah. Like, come on. Like. What? This is a the special pouch. <laughs> this is a specialized pouch that just it's belongs the, next to your organs. It's the Brack plaque. <laughs> it's a Brack plaque, and we're going to put it by your uterus, yeah. and you're going to shut up. Yeah, basically. God damn it. Not no. <laughs> Welcome to the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> so during her treatment, this is important, mm -hmm. two samples were taken from Lax's cervix without her permission or knowledge. Okay. One sample was of healthy tissue and the other was cancerous. These samples were given to George Otto Guy, who was a... <laughs> Shut the fuck George up. Otto Guy. Yep. He's just... He's, that's not his name at all. He's just really into cars. Yeah. He's an auto guy. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> he was a physician and cancer researcher at <clears throat> Johns 
Hopkins. Oh, ooh. <laughs> You're really getting it. I'm trying so fucking so hard. Good. The cells from the cancerous sample eventually became known as the Gila immortal cell line. Yep, 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 yep. Uh-huh. Bing, 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 I remember bing, bing, this. Bing, 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 bing. I don't know a ton about it, but I remember this. Which is a commonly used cell line in contemporary biomedical research. Yeah. Remember, this is 1951, guys. As if we could forget. <laughs> so, on August 8th, 1951, Lax, who was 31 years old at the time, went back to Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. for a routine treatment session and asked to be admitted due to continued severe abdominal pain. No shit, maybe it's the glass tube full of radium. <laughs> she received blood transfusions and remained at the hospital until her death on October 4th, 1951. Oh, so she just, she was, she was like, ouch, this hurts. Yes. And then they kept her and she was there until she died. Yes. Fuck. Yes. This poor lady. Yes. Now, a partial autopsy showed that the cancer had metastasized throughout her entire body. Whoa. Medical lesson. <laughs> metastasized means it spread. Mm-hmm. The cancer cells reproduced and spread. So she was just all cancer. Yes. Oh, my God. And we're going to take this down to a sad level. Okay. I'm very familiar with metastasized cancer because that's what happened to my mom. Sure. Who mm-hmm. also went to the doctor for pain and then never left the hospital. <sighs> so this story was rough. Mm-hmm. That's fair. But. And that it just goes to show like that sort of thing still happens. Yes. We don't fully understand cancer. Yes. And once it spreads like that, it's very hard to fight. Right. That makes sense. Lax was buried in an unmarked grave in the family cemetery in a place called Laxtown in Halifax County, Virginia. Wow. So they were a whole family, weren't oh, they? Yeah. Laxtown. Yeah. It's named for their family. Yeah. It's crazy. There's a town, I think, in Arkansas that a majority of my family on my dad's side lives in. And it's like named for them. Really? Yeah, it's like it's, where the family reunions happen. There's like over 200 people there. Damn, uh, those old families, man. <laughs> yeah. So in 2010, Roland Patillo, a faculty member of the Morehouse School of Medicine, who worked with George Guy and knew the Lax family, donated a headstone for Lax. Oh, well, that's nice. This then prompted her family to raise money for a headstone for Elsie Lax, her second child. What happened to Elsie? I'm going to get into that. Oh, shit. So Elsie had some severe developmental issues. She was described as, quote, deaf and dumb. Okay. So they put her in a mental institution. Oh, that's just what we did with people back then. As a child. Mm -hmm. It was the Hospital for the Negro Insane. Nuh-uh. I'm really glad you were taking a drink when I fucking said that. I almost spit it out of the microphone. (laughs) Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. The last two words are both not okay to put beside the word hospital <laughs> like yep. they're bad this is bad <laughs> jesus it was later renamed <laughs> i'm not drinking again hold on crownsville hospital center okay so it's chill now yeah we decided to chill <laughs> where she passed away at the age of 15 in 1955 oh man yeah do they know why she passed away 
I didn't look into it too hard, probably, yeah. but maybe also probably not. Yeah, I mean, either it's it was bad and it was covered up, or uh, who knows? There's any number of reasons, because those yeah. places were awful yes. a lot of the time. And that was for white people. Right, yeah. So. All those, yeah, all those things we did in the early 1900s, like journalists snuck in, those are all yeah. white people facilities, and they were yeah. still being hugely mistreated. Yeah. So, the headstone of Henrietta Lacks is shaped like a book and contains an epitaph written by her grandchildren that reads, Henrietta Lacks, August 1st, 1920 to October 4th, 1951. In loving memory of a phenomenal woman, wife, and mother who touched the lives of many, here lies Henrietta Lacks, parentheses, Gila. Her immortal cells will continue to help mankind forever. Eternal love and admiration from your family. That's so fucking cool. Now, what a sweet family. Here's the thing. Yes. This is why this story caught my attention. Sure. Because it was all really interesting of having like immortal cells. Yeah. This and is, having this those is like, the survivor part. Count <laughs> as a survivor. Yeah. Because like they're still using the cells. They're still right. reproducing. A part of her literally lives. Literally. On. It's crazy. But the cells were taken without consent. Which Again, it's the 50s. And she's a black woman. And she's a black woman, so cool. nobody's going to ask for consent. No, they don't care. No. This could be useful. Yeah. It we will have it now. absolutely was. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. That's still awesome, but, like, maybe ask. Because they were having an issue with the cancer cells they were taking were dying, whereas these cells were reproducing every 24 hours and continuing to grow and stay alive. Do on their own. You might be getting to this, but do we know why she specifically? No. She just happens to she be just, a person. There was something in her genetic makeup that made her incredibly unique. She just has these cells. Yes. Because, yeah, I could see why that would be. They're super resilient. She is full of cancer. Yeah. But she has cells that are still fine. So More than fine. This part's fucked up. Oh, great. So after she passed away, they had discovered... That her cells were unique. Sure. And they went down to the morgue to get more cells. So they had some cells. They were like, oh shit, these are really cool. Sorry, she they... died. We're going to go harvest from her dead body. Christ. Again, without the family's permission. Right. That's really shitty. But also, she had living cells in her dead body. Yep. Super crazy. Medicine's weird, guys. The bodies, humans are weird. Now... Before I get into the legal issues, here are some things that the HeLa cells have been used for. In 1954, Jonas Salk used the HeLa cells in his research to develop the polio vaccine. Okay, that's huge. Yes. And to test this new vaccine, the cells were mass-produced in the first ever cell production factory. Wow. Additionally, Chester M. Southam a leading virologist injected HeLa cells into cancer patients, prison inmates, and healthy individuals in order to observe whether cancer could be transmitted as well as to examine if one could become immune to cancer by developing an acquired immune response. Wow. Interesting. So HeLa cells were in very high demand and put into mass production. They were mailed to scientists around the globe for research into cancer, AIDS, the effects of radiation, and toxic, toxic substances, Gene mapping and other countless scientific pursuits. Mm -hmm. um, HeLa cells 
um, <laughs> were the first human cells successfully cloned in 1955. Wow. And have since been used to test human sensitivity to tape, glue, cosmetics, and many other products. Whoa, seriously? Yes. That's super weird. Since the 1950s, scientists have grown as much as 50 million metric tons of her cells. Holy shit. And there are almost 11,000 patents involving HeLa cells. Wow. In the early 1970s, a large portion of other cell cultures became contaminated by HeLa cells. So they're, <laughs> they're like fucking aggressive. Yeah, they're like the they're like the zebra muscles of cells. Yes. Like, yes. What the fuck? They move in. <laughs> yeah. They kick out the inhabitants. They take over. Other cells are too weak for them. Yep. Wow, it, it, that's intense. Yeah. As a result, members of Henrietta Lacks's family received solic- solicitations for blood samples from researchers hoping to learn about the family's genetic code. I was just going to ask like is the, has anyone else in the family done this to see if they're all like that? <laughs> yep. Whoa. And they wanted to be able to differentiate between HeLa cells and other cell lines that were related. Obviously, the families were alarmed and confused. Sure. Because they had no fucking idea this was going on. So for like years and years and years, they had no idea. Like, yep. oh yeah, we took this woman's cells <laughs> and it's been all over the world. Yep. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, they also, in 1975, learned through a chance dinner party conversation that material originating in Henrietta Lacks was continuing to be used for medical research. A party? Yeah, a dinner party. Oh, my God. Yeah, you Send know. a fucking letter, You're cutting you your steak. Oh, my God, right? You're sitting Talking your wine. about the weather. Oh, my God. And someone just goes, did you know, by the way, uh, that your great, yeah. like, your grandmother's uh, fucking cells are... Lacks, what a, what a unique last name. Interesting. Are you related to Henrietta Lacks? Do you know anything about the polio vaccine? Let yeah. me tell you. Can I have your blood? Like, Let's just see some of that fuck? blood. <laughs> Seriously. Send a letter. What is wrong with you people? Yeah. Now, <laughs> they had never been told and had never really talked about what happened to Henrietta. Because, again, she passed away in the 50s, mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, 70s. You don't really talk about things that's fair yeah now they started talking and they got curious and they began to ask questions now again it's worth noting neither henrietta Lacks nor her family gave her physicians permission to a harvest her cells b use them in any medical right experiments or c even just fucking store them like right all of that stuff requires a consent. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. It's Ma- a part well, of your body. <laughs> or it should. <laughs> oh, God. Uh-huh. I, hate uh-huh. I hate it when you go, uh-huh. what? Uh-huh. <laughs> now, at that time, permission was neither required nor customarily sought, especially, again, okay. from people of color. Okay. It's, it's kind of a general practice, but also people of color, it's like, whatever. <laughs> and Jesus. the cells were used not only in medical research, but for commercial purposes. Again, some of those patents, makeup testing, all of that kind of stuff. This family should be making bank. I'm sorry. At the very least. I know it's grim, but, like, they should have money. It gets worse. Oh, no. In the 1980s, family medical records were published without family consent. No. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Now, a similar issue was brought up in the Supreme Court of California case of Moore versus Regents of the University of California in 1990. Mm Mm-hmm. And the court ruled that a person's discarded tissue and cells are not their property and can be commercialized. Now, this is where I get mad 
<laughs> because her cells weren't discarded. They were harvested from her body. She didn't just right. like sit up and like shake out a couple cells that they like picked up from a trash can. Right. They literally went in, harvested the cells. How does that count as discarded? Right. Unless they're like, well, she died, so it's all discarded tissue now, you know? But the family has autonomy over that body it's until true. they release it. It's true. Like, it's, it's that's still bullshit. the thing that confuses me. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they also mean, like, because, okay, before she died, they had some of those cells, and they needed more. Yeah. And, like... Can, are they trying to count like the initial cells as discarded because they like were taking stuff from her to treat her cancer, but those happen to be there too. And it's also They'll, like weird because John's hops, hop, the, I did the good. John's Hopkins is a teaching hospital. It's one of the most famous teaching hospitals in the United States. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's still on every fucking medical TV yeah. show ever. Everyone um, wants to get into Johns Hopkins. Yep. Nobody talks about Columbia. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> but like, I, yeah, either regardless of their reasoning or their arguments, like that's kind of a bullshit ruling anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry. I feel like even if you are dead and can't give consent, like your family, your is, family still there. is still there. Especially if you are going to commercialize it. If you are going to make money I off mean, of someone's body. For fuck's sake. Charles Manson's body was a huge court case over mm-hmm. who had custody of the body. Right. And could well, take it for burial. At least now we're thinking about like, yeah, I mean, no, that's still like the property of something, yeah. you know, at some point. Yeah. So in March 2013, if you thought we were done. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, God. Researchers published the DNA sequence of the genome of a strain of HeLa cells. Okay. Now, the Lax family discovered this when the author, Rebecca Skloot, informed them. Uh-huh. She was like, hey, I'm publishing your family's DNA sequence. Bye. Not, hey, can I, but hey, I'm doing this. At least she gave them a heads up. Yeah. Other people might have just been like, nah, I don't care. <laughs> but still, maybe ask. There were obvious objections from the Lax family about no the shit. genetic information. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Lax Y who's a grandchild of Henrietta Lacks, said to the New York Times, quote, the biggest concern was privacy. What information was actually going to be out there about our grandmother and what information they can obtain from her sequencing that will tell them about her children and her grandchildren and going down the line. That's fair. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't want my genetic sequencing out there for the world to see. That's private. Right. It's, it's kind of literally the most basic stuff about you. Yeah. The people are just like, yeah, publish it. No one cares. <laughs> like, What? <laughs> yeah um that same year another group working on a different hela cells line genome under the national institute of health funding submitted it for publication in august of 2013 an agreement was announced between the family and the nih that gave the family some control over access to the cells dna sequence found in the two studies along with a promise of acknowledgement in scientific papers money fuck you pay them yeah in addition, two family members joined the six-member committee that regulated access to the sequence data. That is a little bit more something. Yes. There's also a lot of recognition for Henrietta. If you sure. go on the Johns Hopkins website, like mm-hmm. I did, sure. 
they have a like a whole blurb about her and it's obviously like they don't talk about consent no of course and we're not gonna admit we fucked up <laughs> the red flags right they're like this tremendous discovery and look da, at da, this, da, 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 and this look woman's at this amazing contribution to science and her sacrifice will be remembered and she lives on forever and da, da, blah, 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 blah. yes we stole it sorry <laughs> yeah yeah um oopsie doodle buns we do not admit to that they have henrietta Lacks day which is october 11th 1996 so we just missed it shit that's awesome uh-huh it's literally yesterday yeah when we're recording that's so yeah. cool she got a lot of honors and everything she was part of the overlooked history project Ooh, okay oprah winfrey made a movie about her okay i remember that too a little bit i've heard the about it. immortal life of henrietta Lacks, yes which had renee elise goldsberry portraying henrietta which if anyone's a hamilton fan she was okay. the original angelica i was wondering i was like why does that sound familiar <laughs> yes yes that's cool um members of the lax family also authored their own stories for the first time in 2013 where lax oldest son and his wife lawrence and babette lax wrote a short digital memoir called gila family stories lawrence and babette Ooh, um okay. which is their first-hand accounts of their memories of henrietta lax while she was alive and their That's own cool. yeah and their own efforts to keep the youngest children out of unsafe living environments following their mother's death wow okay that's yeah. really interesting i li like when they're like it, the life of this woman mattered too yes it's not just her cells like yeah. let's talk about that that's cool gila is also a play by chicago playwright j nicole brooks nice which was commissioned by sideshow theater company in 2016 hmm. and there was a public stage reading on july 31st of 2017 okay so this is all so pretty new we could see this play start to be around yeah Awesome. Um, it was also featured on Law and Order in an episode in 2010 called Immortal, mm. which apparently really fucking like Law and Order sometimes goes a little too close to the truth that they're basing it on. Mm -hmm. And a quote from one of the newspapers that reviewed it was that it was shockingly close to the true story. Whoa. Okay. But like yeah. that's kind of brave of a show yeah to do i mean because it's fucked up it's it law and order is the gila cells of tv shows so like <laughs> it is literally immortal it will never die and there's nothing that can you stop mean, it you mean it'll never be done done <laughs> fuck you <laughs> that's the worst one i've ever heard oh my god no no you can't you can't oh i just did though oh my god oh i just did oh it's so bad oh it's so bad oh oh my god she really did do that <laughs> oh my god all right every okay. once in a while i wonder if i'm losing my touch of uh witty comebacks and then you just grab one out of the air yeah. that ruins my life. Yeah. Ah, fuck you. Okay. But like, okay, you're <laughs> not wrong. So like, while it is sort of brave that they do that, it's also like, nothing's going to touch law and order. Nope. They're not going to get canceled for doing something too close. <laughs> like, good for them, I guess. Yeah. <sighs> oh my God. I fucking hate you. Anyway, go the fuck on, I guess. Jesus Christ. So, I'm I mean, gonna need, that's... I'm going to need a heart noise just to, like, get over it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's basically all I have. Okay. So you're really, so you're ending your story. <laughs> I don't know what else to 
<laughs> I'm the dun dun pun. <laughs> um, nope, that's completely fine. You did I a very did. good job. I'm just angry at that last part. I mean, I'm angry at all of it. Different reasons, though. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Henrietta Lacks. That's really cool. She mm-hmm. sounds well. I mean, she sounded like a really nice lady. Yeah. And then like her cells were just cray cray. Yeah. Weird shit. I'm going to finish this drink, and I'm going to get another drink, and we're going to talk about other weird shit. Okay. Let's do this. Dang it. We are not chugging. Or, I mean, I might. God damn it. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. Uh, my survivor's name is Sasha Yuchenko. I also have other people I will mention, but that's my main person. That name sounds really familiar, and I don't know why. Ooh, this I'm, I don't keep this a secret for very long. It's one paragraph. <laughs> it is April of 1986 in the country that is now known as Ukraine, but at the time it was a part of the Soviet Union. It's Cold War times, baby. My least favorite war. Right, the worst war. Boring and terrifying at the same time. Yes. Specifically. Let's talk about the area 60 miles north of Kiev in a place called Chernobyl. Mm. <laughs> Fun fact time. Medical, medical lesson? Not a, well, I've got some of those types of things, but not yet. Chernobyl is, for those who don't know, a city. I know that people might argue with me like, it's the power plant. Shut up. It's also a city. It was named for a common type of wormwood. That's what Chernobyl means. So the city of Chernobyl existed under different names and different countries' rules since the 12th fucking century. But <laughs> in the 1970s, the Soviet Union had control of that shit. Mm-hmm. Just like a lot of other stuff. And they, they had did a, lot a of great stuff. job. They did a really, really good job, and they didn't fuck anything up. Oh, nope. wait. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait, that's this whole story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing a YouTube video about a guy on a bus wearing fucking, like radiation protection with the like geiger counter i fucking believe it okay going into chernobyl yes so in the 1970s they decided to build a large nuclear power plant nine miles outside the city that seems safe enough yeah it's fine yeah so they started in 1977 this is clearly this was cleverly named the chernobyl nuclear power plant so deep dude this is a place where like when they have multiple hospitals in a city it's called hospital one Hospital 2, Hospital 3. Yeah. It's communism, man. The Soviets were very creative. They were very creative, and um, they wanted there was to make no sure Johns Hopkins. Ev- yeah, and they wanted to make sure everything was super fair. Right. It was a four-reactor plant, so there are four separate nuclear reactors at this plant. Because that is also super safe. It's fine. It's the first one on Ukrainian soil, but it is one of several throughout the entire USSR at this point. Construction was completed in 1983. The power plant needed a variety of workers, from technicians to emergency personnel. So a small city called Pripyat was constructed just two miles from the plant to house the workers and their families. It's like if you work for, like, Google, and then they give you Google housing Mm -hmm. on their Google campus, so you can go to your Google job and then go to your Google home and never escape Google. It's the same. I didn't know they gave housing. I need to go apply Uh, for Google. Yeah, there's a lot of those places, like those Silicon Valley type of places that now do housing, which is actually really creepy, I think, because I think now, like, then your company owns your life. Sorry, that's creepy. I don't love it. But they were doing this 
in the USSR too. They're it's doing fine. it at Ashley Furniture too. Anyways, I continue. Oh, I fucking believe it. Oh, yeah. Jesus. They're oh, building so housing. Anyway. Anyways, continue. <laughs> so I want to preface what I'm about to say with, yes, I did watch the HBO Chernobyl series. And yes, I am also aware that some of the events in the show were dramatized. Of and course, it's things, HBO, guys. Right. And some things were just plain wrong. I have done other research. This is not, I just got no. interested in it because of the show. Nope. You only watch the show. There are 10 That's articles in it. my sources. That's Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> Although like the show is, I will say I, w I recommend the show. It is utterly brutal at times, like almost like punishingly so. It seems unnecessary, but the last episode is worth it. That's all I'm saying. I think it's fucking awesome. Anyway. Otherwise, you'd just go on YouTube and watch a guy ride a bus wearing a radiation mm. protection suit with too. a Geiger counter. You fucking do whatever you want. Me. You know, it's a free country. <laughs> so, I am not a science guy, Bill Nye or otherwise. So, I'm not going to spend a ton of time explaining exactly what happened on April 26th, 1986. I was a huge chemistry fan. I was going to ask, though, like, how much would you like to know? Because I do have a couple of fucking paragraphs on this shit, and it is so interesting. I love science. It's okay, good. <laughs> I'm hoping that our viewers are, or <laughs> listeners, Whoa. our viewers, Whoa. who's Did here? you fucking who's, set up a camera, who's Taylor? Who's watching us? <laughs> I'm wearing leggings. <laughs> I'm wearing a half shirt, <clears throat> a half sweater. But either way, so yeah, I am going to do some explaining. Uh, I'm going to try to do layman's terms, so I'm not getting overly scientific, but I also did get a little more long-winded in this explanation than I wanted because it is interesting as fuck. So, Reactor 4, the last one built, finished in 1983, was set to be a part of a safety test on the morning of April 25th, the day before. And in the show, they were sort of like, this safety test was supposed to be done like three years ago <laughs> when the plant was finished so it was like 1983 was when the plant was finished 1986 is when this test is taking place so the test was designed to simulate a power failure a very sudden one to ensure that should such a thing happen to the plant due to like bombings because it was the cold war they were constantly like we're gonna get bombed we're all gonna die yep just like us yep so and a nuclear plant is a great thing to target exactly so should they lose power and the turbine should stop that is constantly running cool water into the core to keep it cool enough that it doesn't melt down. Um, should that stop, they needed to make sure that their secondary stuff they had in place was going to work for the 50 seconds that they needed it to. Um, so that was the point of the test. <laughs> and running the test required dropping the power plant's output by over half. And so it was scheduled for when the plant was off the power grid. They took the plant off the power grid so that it wouldn't affect the power output to the entire USSR. However, that day, the power grid needed power for longer than expected. It was just a high power day, I guess. Mm -hmm. So some fucking higher up in the power department, you know, the Soviet Union's always like, the ministry of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the department of that. So some faceless, nameless higher up was like, Actually, we need you to de delay the test by 10 hours. So we're just going to wait. You can do it at midnight. We need power for the rest of this day. As soon as the next day starts, you can run the test. So the plant is running at half power for 10 hours, longer than it was supposed to. And this is bad for science reasons that I will get into. Mm -hmm. In addition, running the test at midnight means that the night shift is there. 
instead of the day shift. Mm -hmm. The night shift has not been briefed or trained on this type of test. Mm -hmm. And they were not aware what it was happening until they got to work, which is not fun. Mm -mm. Uh, you, you see a lot of different scenes and flashbacks of the people who are in the control room in the show. And one of them in real life is a 24-year-old who has worked there for four months. And he's terrified. Like yeah. he was being asked to run the test. <laughs> it's very scary. So the science reasons that I was talking about just now that I will get to, I'm getting to them now. It's bad to run the power plant on half power for 10 hours. Not just because of the power output being shitty for the country. Are all, I'm going to put this in the laymaniest layman's terms possible. There is a byproduct of nuclear fission mm -hmm. that is created in the core that is generally burned off when the core is running at full power. So it's not a problem. But because it was running at half power for so long, this byproduct was, being, was not being burned off yep. as it should have been. It was building up. And essentially what they call poisoning the core. Yep. The levels of this byproduct were higher than like any other test of this kind they've ever done before. Mm -hmm. So already bad conditions. Very bad. Really bad conditions Very for this test. Very unsafe conditions. Just fucking don't do it, maybe. Unsafe <laughs> wow. for a safety test. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the least safe safety test of all time. Yep. So when things started to go wrong. <laughs> Which was probably almost immediately. Um, immediately, because they couldn't, they needed to bring the power level down even further to actually begin the test. They couldn't bring it down as far as they needed. It just wouldn't go, mm -hmm. because the shit that's poisoning the core is preventing that from happening. Yep. So they started to take drastic measures. Which is never a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, and in the show, there's a man, um, his last name is Dyatlov, and he was the guy in charge of the entire crew. That shift, he was running the test. He is a huge villain on the show, and in, in real life, he was more of just like a, a salty little taskmaster who didn't really give a shit. If you were worried, he was, he'd been working there for so long that you would listen to him and you could shut up. And he wanted to get the test done. There, everyone was under a huge amount of pressure to just do the fucking Well, test. yeah, I mean, it was overdue. Yes. It was supposed to have been done a very long time ago. And it was supposed to be done 10 hours ago. Yeah. And Yatlov, you know, he, he, he wants to get it done. They all are looking at, you know, being fired or replaced right. as soon as they do something wrong. Right. Any single one of them. So they're going to do what they're going to do. At this point, they yeah. At this point, they lowered the power, and then it lowered too much. Mm -hmm. At one point, they the power level got so low, before they were able to raise it, that they were like the people in there were like, we need to actually just shut down. We have to shut down, and then we have to restart, over a very slow twenty four hour period. That's the only safe way to do this. Uh, the power level is so low. If we raise it now, artificially, that's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. And they went ahead anyway. So these drastic measures they resorted to at one point included pulling the vast majority of boron control rods that help keep the core from overheating. Uh, in the show, they mentioned there are like 227 or something, and then they, they pulled 206 of them? Yeah. Almost all of them. Yeah, and that's not good. No, I mean, because there's like a very delicate balance of keeping the core from melting down and also keeping the core from shutting off. Yep. There's like num a number of things that are helping to heat it up and helping to slow it down. And the boron control rods help to slow it down. Mm -hmm. It's already it to heat got up a massive bit. imbalances. Right. So they're pulling out the boron control rods over and over, one by one, until almost all of them are out to make it raise again so that they could start the fucking test. So they technically get it to a level where they can kind of sort of start the fucking test. 
So now that starts happening and the power level is rising and it's rising dangerously and it's rising to a level where like that's not actually how much power we're supposed to output here. It's like double the amount. It's like triple the amount. It's like it keeps raising. The thing is, there it is very possible these people never would have gone this far. These people never would have done all of this if they had known that something was very wrong with their fail-safe mechanism. There is something... If only they'd done a certain test. <laughs> That's weird. When it was all built. And the thing is, like, this safety test has almost nothing to do with what was wrong. They were going to do this anyway. This yep. is just the way the Soviet Union worked. They were cutting corners. They yep. were saving on costs. And this is Communism. what they built. So it's possible that these they wouldn't have pushed it this far. Because when things started to go very, 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 very wrong, there was always a failsafe. They had it. It's a button. And the failsafe is called, they called it in the show, AZ-5. It's literally the AZ-5 button. It was an emergency shutdown that automatically plunged all control rods back into the core at once, which would immediately halt any reaction and shut the core down. It's in every single one of the USSR's nuclear power plants. It's just the way you shut them down. And it is believed at this point to be completely safe, totally foolproof, last resort. Mm -hmm. About that. Yeah, about that. Unfortunately, AZ-5 was not fail-safe. It was not perfect. The rods were made of boron, like I said, and boron helps slow the reaction. But the very tips of the rods, the first thing that enters the core when you plunge them all in at once, are not made of boron. They're made of graphite. Oh, fuck. And graphite is the opposite of boron in this situation. It speeds up the reaction. Yeah, yeah. The, like, the core, the core is contained in graphite, for one thing. And so these graphite tips, when you have a reactor that has been brought down so low and then brought up so high, so fast, way faster than they've ever done it, and also it's putting out way more power than they have ever intended to put out, and then you plunge every boron rod with a graphite tip in at once, the graphite tip accelerates what is happening in the core so fast that there's nothing that the boron rods can do. The graphite tips are basically tiny little bombs mm -hmm. that as soon as they enter the core, they, they just go off. They yep. accelerate things so fast that the core did not just melt down, it exploded, yep. which is not something that anyone in the world thought could happen. This is a quote from a, an article. It's not a person's quote, but this is what they said. Radioactive debris of fuel and reactor components rained over the area while fire spread from the building housing reactor four to adjacent buildings. Toxic fumes and dust were carried by the blowing wind. Yeah. Now this is a quote quote. There was a heavy thud. A couple of seconds later, I felt a wave come through the room. The thick concrete walls were bent like rubber. I thought war had broken out, because that's always what they think first, mm -hmm. that they've been bombed yep. by the Americans. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking fair. I mean, that's we what we were thinking. it for so shit, long, yeah. Right? We started to look for, um, I'm going to try to say this man's name correctly. It's his last name. Kodimchuk. But he had been near the pumps and had been vaporized. Yeah. Literally vaporized. Yeah. Steam wrapped around everything. It was dark, and there was a horrible hissing noise. There was no ceiling, only sky, a sky full of stars. I remember thinking how beautiful it was. That was a quote from 
Sasha Yuvchenko, who was working at the plant during the explosion. Sasha was 24 years old at the time of the incident. Nope. And yeah, people working in a nuclear power plant. I'm sorry, you shouldn't be 24 years old. Stop being 24. There's two separate people that I've mentioned now who were 24 years old. What are you doing? So after this happened, immediately after, he was part of a four-man team sent to check out the damaged reactor hall. That seems super safe. It's where they keep the reactor, y'all. And the thing is, like, it's portrayed on the show, and it seems like from asking people to go where the reactor is to see what happened, that there are people there who just don't believe it would have exploded. Again, sure. this is not they supposed to They think they got bombed. Yes. Or they think it melted down, or in the readings are giving them something wrong. Yep. The people in the control room are not near enough to know for sure. So they're just like, go fucking see. Yeah. So he is part of a four-man team sent to do this. Sasha, a large man, was tasked with, like, holding the heavy metal door open. They had to open this huge door, and, like, it would just kind of shut on its Mm -hmm. own. So he had to press very specific parts of his body, his shoulder, arm, hip, calf, all pressed against the metal of this door. While the other three men went inside to look at the condition of the reactor. Why do I feel like this is about to save his goddamn life? There, of course, was no more reactor. And those men would be dead of radiation poisoning in two weeks. There we go. Yeah. The fact that he did not enter Mm -hmm. is a big fucking deal. Saved his goddamn life. Yes. That he was the biggest guy and needed to hold the door open. And actually, he is specifically portrayed in the show as well, which I thought was great. Quote, We had no idea there was so much radiation. We met a guy with a dosimeter, and the needle was just off the dial. But even then, we were still only thinking, rats, this means the end of our careers in the nuclear industry. Nobody knew. I mean, they weren't wrong. It's not wrong in one way or another. But nobody knew how dangerous this was. Nobody. Even the people fucking working there. Soon, however, Sasha started exhibiting many of the same signs of radiation sickness as many of his other colleagues. Quote, after about an hour, I started to vomit uncontrollably. My throat was very sore. Then he couldn't walk, and he was taken to a local hospital. Eventually, he and 128 others were transferred from Pripyat to Moscow, where entire wards of a hospital was dedicated, like hospital number six, was dedicated to treating those who had been at the explosion site as well as first responders. Yeah, because... They've all been exposed to so much. I will talk about it. Like so much radiation. So much radiation. A crazy amount. Like my guess is way more than like the atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah, I'll actually specifically mention that. So what Sasha didn't know then, what nobody knew, was that he and many others had received a dose of radiation five thousand times the average annual dose for a person just living near a nuclear plant. If you live near one, you are, like, there's an amount that you are expected to absorb in a year. And it's very low, and it's deemed acceptable. (laughs) If you work at the nuclear power plant, you you do about, you know, 20 times that. Still not a horrible level. In one night, he had been exposed to 460 times the amount he, as a nuclear plant power worker, was supposed to be exposed to. Not just in one night, in five minutes. Yeah. Specifically, Sasha had been exposed to 410 REM. Now, this is an old way to refer. Yeah. But the new way is very similar. It's literally like it's 4.1 as opposed to 410. 
and this is how this is how they used to market back then when this was happening. So 410 REM, which is a lot. 400 REM is fatal to about half of people exposed to it. Just, you're done. So after the vomiting and other awful digestive distress that a large amount of radiation can give you, there's a period of like relative calm for victims. Like your skin can appear red but you have relatively few other symptoms for like a, maybe a day or two. Everything's super chill for just like just a like hot a second. hot second. But that doesn't last long. Before all the hair on your body falls out mm-hmm. and layers of skin begin to die. Mm-hmm. Ulcers can appear on top of the dead skin. Sasha remembers specifically moving his blanket one night at the oh hospital god. Oh god. and seeing dead skin fly off of him in a cloud of black dust. Oh. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> For Sasha, the most affected places were the body parts I specifically mentioned that touched that fucking door. Because he's touching the inside of the door. The door in the core hall (laughs) to hold it open. So his arm, his shoulder, his hip, and his calf are all the most affected parts of him. Especially, though, his arm. Tissue deep in his arm was affected and began to die. He had to have many blood transfusions, tissue transplants, and skin grafts to save it. They thought that he was going to lose it, but in the end, he did not. That's good. Yeah. I definitely thought you were going to tell me he lost his arm. Right? But no, it's crazy. He still has his goddamn arm. However, after the incident, his arm remained bandaged for seven goddamn years. Yeah. Also, you're very far away from your mic right now because of Bam Bam. (laughs) So maybe you want (laughs) to... Bam Bam! (laughs) I didn't Ah. even realize that. It's hilarious. Sorry, Bam Bam. I'm back. We love you, buddy. You're doing a good job. Hello. So, yeah, he, his arm was bandaged for seven years. Can you imagine having something on your arm for seven fucking years? That's like... Yeah, I was goth in high school. <laughs> okay, fair. But that was a choice, and you probably took it off to sleep like I did. <laughs> <laughs> Not always. <laughs> anyway, Sometimes you forget. It's continue. Fine. So, in the interview that I found from him that was done in 2004... His arm is significantly smaller than the other one that never touched the door and is still sometimes prone to ulcers. Like almost 20 years later, he gets ulcers. Yeah. Radiation stays with you. It literally will outlive you. Yeah. It's in your body and it will live for thousands of years. You want to talk about cells replicating. Yes. I didn't specifically write this down, but they show it on the show too. The people who died from radiation poisoning, they got put in boxes regular coffins but then put in holes in the ground that were filled with concrete Mm -hmm. because they are radioactive Radioactive. (laughs) and they will be for thousands of years yep he will probably i wonder like if they've looked at like if he has any like partners or if he's had kids like their exposure because he probably is still technically radioactive now the thing is what what i learned from watching sort of a like it was a um, Vanity Fair. They do a lot of, like, we bring an expert in and we talk about a thing. Right, yeah. There was a woman who was an expert on radioactivity. And she said, you know, once you do a certain amount to a body and they're still alive, that person is not radioactive anymore. Sweet. If they die early enough, they've got enough in them, and we didn't, you know, fix them. <laughs> so yeah. they're still radioactive, and it's kind of scary, so we just put them in concrete, whatever. But the, the alive people are not going to infect you with radioactivity. Cool. Which is nice. 
but there was still that stigma. That stigma was huge. Oh, I, will I get bet. To that. I will get to that. <laughs> oh my it's God. like AIDS. Yeah. Even though it can't be transmitted through touching People someone. People just are freaked out by they you. They're freaked out. Mm-hmm. So Sasha was in the hospital for a full year. And then he That's re- it? Right. But then he was in rehab for two. Oh, okay. Yep. Right. He's into his 40s in this 2004 article. And uh, he still goes to, uh, he says, about like two weeks worth of stuff every year. Hmm. Rounds of tests. He still expects them to find something. Yeah. Every year, he's like, I'm going to have cancer this time. Sure. It's a fucking fair fear. Yeah, exactly. But as of that article, I couldn't find anything more recent, unfortunately, than the 2004 one. But he was still well. And his wife was also well, and so was his child, born before this. Okay. Like many involved in the incident, he was advised not to have any more children. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, he I'm wondering actually, if he... Exactly. He does not know if he is sterile. He has not. He's like, I probably am, but also I don't want another child. I don't know what would happen to that child. Yeah. That's a valid fucking fear. Yeah. And mostly like the doctors were just like, we just don't know what will happen. We just really have no frame of reference. So just don't. I mean, it's still like to this day, even with everything that happened in World War Two, we still don't have all the answers. of Long term effects. We super don't. Yeah. Exactly. It's super scary, actually. Yeah. Like, we might not know until hundreds of years from now, and can we can look back at, like, spikes in data. Yeah. Like, but looking at it even only, you know, 30 years ago now, like, we can't really see it. We don't really know. Right. So, in the years following, Sasha and his wife have, like we talked about, dealt with people just fearing that they are contaminated. Right. It's the nerves that get to you, Sasha's wife, Natasha, said. So, Sasha counts himself incredibly lucky. Given that he was so close to the explosion when it happened, and how much damage actually happened to his body. Two people were killed in the initial explosion, like his vaporized co worker. Two people kind of had that happen to them. And then 26 more died within the first few days directly from just a ton of radiation. Um, There were people so, uh, these people were so incredibly close to the blast. That or were sent to investigate, or some of them were like the first firefighters mm-hmm. on the scene, um, asked to put out a fire. Basically, like they were like, just you know what, it's fine. Actually, the plant is fine, yeah. but it is there's a, like a little fire. If you could go help contain it, mm-hmm. so like these firefighters walk up to an open reactor, having yeah. no idea what that means or what is happening to them. There's graphite on the ground. Graphite is incredibly toxic to touch. <laughs> it's really yeah. bad to be near. It itself is radioactive. There's a reason why they say don't stab yourself with a pencil, yeah. guys. But then this was also, it's like huge chunks of graphite that were holding a fission reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and like these men were just sent to it like it was a fire. And like they're pouring water on it and it's evaporating before it reaches the fire. <laughs> like... Awful. God, that's fucking crazy. Awful. That's just fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So these people who were that close and these firefighters who were at the scene so early, some of these people were exposed to more than 2,000 REM. Jesus. That's imme- That will kill your ass. There is no surviving that. Nope. That's nope. why 26 people died. Yep. That's just that. There's, yeah. there's not much you can do about there that. There is nothing. Your body is tumors now. <laughs> like you're yeah. dying. It's really awful. Medical lesson. Medical lesson. Don't. Radiation is bad. I can't. 
hey, that's the that's the link. That's Radiation the is bad. <laughs> don't put radium tubes in your body don't. and don't go near an open reactor. Don't just don't do it. <laughs> I want to discuss some other survivors in a moment, but I also want to bring up just how fucked the people of Pripyat were. Like, just just dicked over by the Soviet government because the Soviet government just refused to admit that this was happening. Oh, yeah. For a full over a day. Yeah. <laughs> like They're like, no, there's just a small fire. There's right. nothing happening. That, Everything's fine. It couldn't be open. The core couldn't be open. There was no explosion because explosions literally cannot happen. Yeah. That is the position of the state. We literally built this to not blow up. Exactly. That's what are what you Azen fucking talking about? Yes. Many officials treated the explosion like we were just joking about, like a regular-ass fire. Yeah. Telling the Ukrainian government officials, even, their own fucking country, they're telling them the fire is minor. It's been put out. Everything's fine. Nothing is wrong. Um, I want to get her name right. Valentina Shevchenko Mm -hmm. was president of the Ukrainian parliament, and she recalls not being told of the incident until 9 a.m. the next morning. Jesus. So it happened at like 1.23 a.m. She is informed at 9 a.m. that morning. And the official that told her said the people in the area were fine. Some of them are celebrating a wedding. Others are gardening. Others are fishing in the Pripyat River. Eating those radioactive fish. Right. I was like, the river, stay away God, from the river. Fuck, no, shit. stay away from water, guys. Literally, we learned this. Yes. Literally, why they built it is because they could take the constant fresh water source from the Pripyat River and feed it into the reactor. So that's bad. That's bad news, Bears. So it wasn't until later that day, on the 26th of April, that a small delegation was sent to the power plant to actually look with their eyeballs at what had happened. Because... Let me show you a picture. It's gone. Let me show you it's a fucking picture. It's just fucking gone. It is. There's no it's roof just there. Gone. The entirety of that chunk of the building where they housed Reactor Four is gone. There's no ceiling. There's nothing. There's nothing. It's awful. Like you cannot say, "Uh, uh it was a fire." <laughs> Fuck you, assholes. And that's what they did. That's what they did anyway. So these people came and just stared and went. And they went, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to probably evacuate. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Now, this delegation is specifically what the Chernobyl HBO series is sort of about. Like, the main characters are uh, these people being like, oh, shit. We have so much work to do. Yeah. This is horrifying. Yeah. We cannot lie about this. This <laughs> like, is a massive problem. Yeah. All these people have been put at risk because mm-hmm. you wanted to keep this quiet. Exactly. Exactly. So... It's not until 36 hours after the event that Pripyat is finally evacuated. Hmm. A fleet of 1,200 buses takes these people out of their homes. And 10 days later, the evacuation zone was expanded again because of this delegation being like, no, 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 no. it's not just Pripyat. It's not just this. It's like a lot Guys, of places. It's so much radiation. It's so much radiation, and it's everywhere. So it was expanded to 30 kilometers in all directions of the plant. Thousands of people lived in this area and they had to be moved. God. And they were told that this was temporary. Nope. That they would be back in like three days. Nope. In some cases. Nope. They were like, you just got to go for like a couple days. It'll be fine. Can confirm that was a lie. Uh Uh-huh. They were never allowed to return. You still cannot go there. This area is called the Chernobyl Nuclear Power Plant Exclusion Zone. It still exists. 
to this day. There are YouTube videos of motherfuckers putting on radiation suits with Geiger counters going into that On a that bus, zone. on a tour. Uh-huh. Yep, I'm yep. trying to find it real quick. <laughs> um, while you're finding that, I have a couple other notable survivors with short stories. Another notable survivor, Valeri Lomakin. He was a plant supervisor. So he was there, but he, you know, he could have been at another reactor because he didn't seem to suffer any huge negative effects. He was not, you know, one of the ones sent to Moscow. Yeah. So he could have been in another part of the plant. But he stayed through the disaster and returned home on April 28th, two days later, to a deserted city. Yeah. He came home and no one was there. Fucking ghost Can town. Can you imagine, though, being so alone in a place? The only, only like people... one of my fears. Yeah, right? The only people who were left were other plant staff and police. This is a quote. He was alone in the apartment building just two days ago, inhabited by over 600 people. Jesus. From his apartment on the eighth floor, the whole city looked desolated. He took his saxophone and played the blues for the empty city. Yeah. Next day. What else the fuck are you supposed to do? Exactly right. I play music. I do that. I'd start singing. The loudest. So loud. Goddamn dance party you've ever fucking seen. That guy gets it. Yeah. So the next day, all of the rest of the plant staff were taken out of Pripyat. Mm Mm-hmm. He took only his white suit and a radio. Oh. Lumikin's son, Andre, was in school the next day. Like, so again, it's 1.23 in the morning. The shit explodes. Everyone goes to school the next day like nothing the fuck has happened. I'm sure it was loud. Oh, it was loud as shit. And it could be seen from everywhere in Pripyat. But there is actually a bridge called the Bridge of Death. They show it in the sh- in the show, and it is real, and I didn't include it because there are no survivors of that bridge. Because the people who saw the explosion decided, we're going to go watch what's going on. So they went to a bridge that overlooks the Pripyat River. And, and we've talked about snow, water. Snow, yes, exactly. But then snow, but not snow. Like radioactive ash starts falling on all of them. There are children there. There are babies there. All those people die. All of them. And they just don't know what's happening yet because it's the middle of the night and no one has told them. It's awful. So, guys, if you live by a nuclear reactor and something goes boom, Give don't, the fuck out. don't go outside to watch to see what's happening. Unfortunately, we had to have Chernobyl to know. Like, they just didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, it sucks. So, quote from Andre Lomakin. Before the first lesson, we went to morning exercises at the school square. All students did it in the open air. They were outside. Jesus. In the second lesson, we were given iodine tablets. For those who do not know, iodine tablets, you actually shouldn't take them unless you have already absorbed some radiation because it can give you stomach ulcers and shit. But iodine tablets can help you, like the iodine will absorb the radiation that you are absorbing instead of you. It's like charcoal absorbing the other shit in your, like the toxins in your body. Although, fun fact for charcoal, if you're taking any medications or anything like that, do not use activated charcoal. Thank you. Anyways, continue. Exactly. It's like the tapeworm of stuff. Like it will take the medication. It will literally make it stop working and it will absorb it. And if you need that shit to survive, you're a little fucked. Yeah. Like, activated charcoal is fine for people who are not taking huge medications. Yes. Like, just, that's a good lesson. Continue. So, yeah. Like, it's like the world is waking up in this area slowly. Like, they let you outside one minute, and then the next minute you're taking iodine tablets. Yep. Because they're finally recognizing something might be going like, on. like, oh, fuck. He says his family has had health problems ever since. His father was constantly going to funerals for friends from Pripyat following the explosion for mm. years. You know, it's awful. 
Now, this one's kind of funny in a way. Oh, God. This is the band Pulsar. So once news of dangerous radiation levels began to spread around the area, people in the nearby town started to panic. Sure. Yeah, no shit. That's fair. Uh huh. The reach of radiation's pretty fucking far. Right. A local band called Pulsar, which was made up of construction workers and electricians from the Chernobyl plant. That's amazing. Right? I know. They were like, let's just fucking start a band. We all work here. Sure. We know each other. Let's do this. But they happened to not be there that night because they were playing a gig at a wedding. <gasps> that <laughs> and, wedding saved their lives. Right? And when they heard the explosion, they were evacuated to a nearby town. And they recall being greeted by angry locals with pitchforks. That is in the quote, with pitchforks. What? Who feared contamination and didn't want people from Pripyat to stay in their town. Sure. And that is actually a huge thing. Um, the Lomakin family stayed with an aunt until one day she was like, you got to get out of my house. Because she was afraid that they were contaminated. <laughs> and they moved ten times because people would not let them stay. It has been approximated that about 400 times more radioactive material was released from Chernobyl than by the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So Jesus. you were right. But, like, combine them, and it's still 400 times more. <laughs> Elevated. Because it was a nuclear it's an reactor. reactor. It took them six weeks just to put the fire out. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, that shit burns forever. It's forever. It will burn forever unless you... They had to put, like, helicopters dumping, like, stuff. Not just water. Water didn't work, but stuff. Nope. And you couldn't even get close enough. You had to let the wind take it. Mm -hmm. It took weeks. It was awful. So elevated levels of radiation were noted all over the Ukraine, Belarus, and parts of Russia. All over Europe, they noted slightly elevated levels for a good chunk of time. The Chernobyl New Safe Confinement was finished in 2010 and is meant to contain any further radiation leaking from Core 4. There's also a documentary out there right now about them rebuilding part of it. Yes, it was uh, designed to last 100 years. Yeah, they built one immediately, but it yep. was not designed to last long, so they built a new one. Here's a picture. Yeah, it's real cool. What are you seeing? A dome. Yeah, it looks like Over, kind of like an airplane hangar yeah. type of... It's huge. Over it's, everything that is still super radioactive. Yes, it's only over a part of the building. Yeah. And there's like a YouTube video talking about like building it mm -hmm. and like the risks that all of the people building it took Yo, to I do that. it. I believe that. There is so much, so much, like so many people died or worked themselves to the bone just to fix this thing in the first yep. place. It was awful. So to this day, it is considered dangerous to enter Pripyat, like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. The clothing of firefighters left discarded in the local hospital still get readings of dangerously high levels of radiation yep like don't fucking touch those things nope there are reports of babies in nearby areas having been born with physical deformities some of whom were abandoned to the state but i also only found like a one claim about that so that's a little bit hard to tell if that's really true it's also some... funny that you think there'd be documentation of exactly that. it's sort of like either somebody is being a whistleblower or somebody is being crazy yep. <laughs> and not telling the truth yep. you never know you never know there, though it is hard to say whether many of the people who have gotten cancer in the decades following the explosion, like whether you can directly attribute that to what happened, it's really hard to tell. Scientifically speaking, it, you don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. However, there have been notably higher rates of alcohol and drug abuse as well as suicide in the affected areas. I'm shocked. Like Natasha said, it's the nerves that get to you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good chunk of the story of Chernobyl. I would say, again, I would watch that fucking HBO special. It is a really horrible, actually. It really sucks. Um, I had a really hard time watching it. <laughs> I it's didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> it's really well done. But also, like, one episode, just one fucking episode follows a guy. He's like the C-plot. But it follows a guy who was just sent to go kill the dogs remaining in the abandoned cities. Oh. Because they're radioactive and they have to go and also because no one owns them anymore and it's horrible. It's like, why is the show doing this to me? But again, the last episode's worth it. You should watch it. It's interesting. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot more to learn about this. There's a lot more about there's what happened. There's a lot happened. we still don't know. Yeah, like leading, yeah, leading up to what actually happened and a lot of stuff that they probably still kept so much under wraps yeah. of what is actually happening to the people affected in that area. Yeah. So, yeah, that sucks. Sorry. <laughs> We're ending on such a happy note, Taylor. Thank Look, you. Look, we always do. Um, I don't know what Sometimes people think. Sometimes we do. I like like once. one out of every ten goddamn episodes Look. at most. That's a pretty good track record. <laughs> Is it? Depending on the podcast, I guess. Well, I guess, if you don't have anything else to say, you should probably be a little bit like Henrietta Lacks and her family. You should probably be a little bit like Sasha, but mostly just don't go near nuclear power plants. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the main lesson. And don't lock people in garages by accident. <laughs> <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever forget your can of water and God. never, ever, ever lock Damn your it. friends in a garage. Damn it. <laughs> Good night. Ah.